0: This is Paul speaking to the church at Corinth about the issue of the resurrection. Hear the word of the Lord. For I delivered to you of first importance what I also received, that Jesus Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas that's Peter, then to the 12. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. If in this life only we have hoped in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection from the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then add in his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and every power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. The word of the Lord. <laughs> well, I get to talk uh, for a while about two of my favorite topics. Death and taxes. I love talking about death and taxes. You know, it was Benjamin Franklin that said there are only two things that are certain in life, death and taxes. Now, of course, why am I talking about taxes? Well, it's April 8th, and April 15th, I believe, is the deadline. Now, some of you may be saying, why do you have to bring that up during an Easter service? Well, that's just the kind of pastor I am. (laughs) You know, so there's about taxes, but we... We need to talk about death because this is Easter, and Easter is all about death, and it's all about life. (laughs) You know, there's something taboo about talking about death uh, in the world, isn't there? You you don't bring up death at a dinner party or something else. It was Woody Allen that said, I'm not afraid of death. I just don't want to be there when it happens. (laughs) The reality is death and taxes affect us all, but there's a significant difference between the two. I got a call from my accountant on Friday. She called me and she said, hey, you know, you, you did this thing uh, last year. I don't quite understand the rules on it and I've got to go on vacation. I think I've got this thing figured out, but I think we should file an extension just so to make sure I do it right. And I said, sure, why not? See, the great thing about taxes is you can file an extension, but with death, there is no extension to be filed, is there? Anybody hear this crazy story about the F-18 landing on those apartment buildings? Praise God, no one was hurt. God. But you know what? When your time is time, your time is up. There's no extension in death. And so we must examine death and look it square in the face. And where else are you going to do that but in church, frankly? You know, there was a poll that was recently done in Britain by a marketing firm that asked the question, Who wants to live forever? Precisely 15%, according to the poll, want to live forever. Isn't that interesting? Only 15% said, yes, I want to live forever. What was even more interesting was the percentages were higher as you were younger, and they began to drop as you got older. Now, why is that? I think one of the reasons is because life is hard. Doesn't get any easier, does it, as we get older? In fact, the reality is, as we get older, we come uh, come face-to-face with the brokenness of the world. Face-to-face with the brokenness of ourselves. And we ask the question, is life as it is now worth living? There's a book out by a gal named Bronnie Ware, who is a nurse. She is involved with palliative care. She basically would take care of the dying for the last 12 weeks of their life. And she wrote this book called um, Five Regrets of the Dying. And what she said is as she ministered to these people that they had phenomenal clarity looking back on their lives, the things that they wished they had done and been. These were the top five things that these people wish. Number one, I wish I'd had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life others expected of me. Uh, uh, Ware said, this was the most common regret of all. When people realize that their life is almost over and look back clearly on it, it's easy to see how many dreams have gone unfulfilled. Many people had not honored even half of their dreams and had to die knowing that it was due to the choices they had made or not made. Health brings a freedom very few realize until they no longer it. Number two, I wish I hadn't worked so hard. This came from almost every male patient that I nursed. They missed their children's youth and their partner's companionship. Women also spoke of this regret, but most of them were from an older generation. Number three, I wish I would had courage to express my feelings. Number four, I wish I would stayed in touch with my friends. Number five, I wish that I had let myself be happier. You know, it's easy to hear these things from these people, the wishes of the dying and to say, aha, here is the formula. Now if I just go out and do these five things, I will live a substantial life. But you know, the truth of it is these people wanted to live too, didn't they? But they came face to face with the limitations of themselves. The reality, my friends, is we want more than just to live on. We want to truly live. To be the people that we were meant to be. And so we need more than simply resuscitation. We need resurrection. We need transformation. We need a new life that's greater than the life we have now. And so Easter is all about that. Easter is about hope that this man called Jesus, the one who came that said, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full, would know the answers of how we can live this life that we desire. See, Jesus Christ was unique than any other religious leader because every other religious leader said, I know the way, but Jesus said, I am the way. And... Christianity is not based on philosophy, it's based on history. Because Jesus, who claimed all of these tremendous things about who he was, said, I'm going to prove it to you, because I'm going to die on a cross, and three days later, I am going to be resurrected. And so the story of Christianity is firmly enmeshed in history. This one Jesus who went into the tomb broken, bloodied, and scarred, three days later, was resurrected and transformed, who was human and flesh and blood, and yet somehow was different than he was before. He had the power to walk through walls. He was no longer bloody and scarred. He was glorious. And Jesus says that he who has the power and has everything under his control will also transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body see my friends the hope of Jesus centers around his resurrection if Christ is not resurrected Jesus is useless but if Christ is raised Jesus Christ is priceless and so Paul lays out this stunning argument where he discusses three key points number one without the resurrection Christ is useless But two, with the resurrection, Christ is priceless. Which finally brings me to my last point in Paul's, with the resurrection, our life is not hopeless. So these are the three points that we're going to take a look at. And let's start with the first one. Without the resurrection, Christ is useless. If we look at verse 12 here, We see that if Christ, uh, where does it say here? Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? See, Paul is talking to this church in Corinth where it appears that there are some people who are believers who have said, ah, we don't really believe in this whole resurrection thing. But we believe in Jesus and we want to have faith in Him and follow Him. In other words, the resurrection is not needed. We're going to take his teachings you know to love our neighbor to turn the other cheek to do all these things to follow this great teacher well we see that happening now don't we in current times when people talk about jesus in fact it was the founder of my alma mater thomas jefferson who removed pages from the bible and said we're just going to focus on the great moral teachings of this one called jesus but paul will have nothing of it because Paul says without the resurrection Christ is of no value you know the name Jesus Christ Christ is not the last name of Jesus I don't know if you knew that or not you know it's not like Carlos Rodriguez Jesus Christ is Jesus the Christ a title that was given to him and how is this title given to him Paul in his opening of the book of Romans which some consider the greatest opus on Christianity, said this, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the holy scriptures regarding his son, who as to his human nature was a descendant of David and who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ. Our Lord see—it's the resurrection that points to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and so Paul in this passage makes four if-then arguments to show the true implications of if Christ is not resurrected the first is in verse 14 that if Christ has not been raised our preaching is in vain if Christ has not resurrected the things that I'm saying to you the preaching the message that I'm giving to you is in vain because Christ has not come to give advice Christ is not a great moralistic creature a teacher you know the truth of the matter is there's no shortage of good advice out there is there you have you ever been to one of those things you know a Peter Lowe seminar where like Zig Ziglar starts out at the beginning and you're moving down and you get all of this great advice You know, you can get great advice from Deepak Chopra. You can turn on the view. You know, you can see Dr. Oz. There's great advice out there for everyone. But Jesus never claimed to give great advice. Jesus didn't say, I know about life. He said, I am the life. If Jesus is not written, it literally says, it's all in vain. Because Jesus made these grandiose, unbelievable claims and as such, if they're not true, they must be a greater failure than all of the other things. You know, it's one thing to make a little claim, and if it's true or not true, who cares? But if it is in vain, it's useless. In fact, verse 15 says that we, those who preach the gospel, are found to be misrepresenting God because he wrote uh, because God did not rise from the dead. See, even, first that it, even further than it not being in vain, We're actually misleading you. Remember these televangelist guys? Okay, they, you know, come along and then they go bad and they, like, give this message and build you for money? If the resurrection hasn't happened, I'm one of those guys. I'm a snake oil salesman because I'm telling you to put your faith in something that's simply not true. There was a lot of people agreeing with that. I'm a little bit concerned about the response that I heard from the crowd on that. Okay, the point is if your preaching is in vain, if my preaching is in vain, guess what? Your faith is also in vain. Because Christianity without the resurrection is nothing more than a placebo. We all know a placebo, right? You know, in those clinical trials where they give you something that looks like the right medicine and you take it and you feel better for a while because you think it's the right medicine, but it actually doesn't have any therapeutic powers whatsoever. See, if all Jesus does is show me how to live a good moral life, that's not good enough because he doesn't give me the power to live it. Jesus doesn't give me the power to change my life He gives me good advice, but he doesn't give me power to live it. Because Jesus Christ is subject to the same boundaries that you and I are. He gets old, he dies, he has the same limits. When you think about it, what really is death? You know what, why do we die in the first place? Scientists have shown that almost all of the cells in our body are able to and regenerate themselves continuously. Why do we die? The Bible tells us that death is a curse. We were not meant to die. We were made in the image of God. Remember Adam and Eve in the garden? Gives them this tremendous mandate to, to fill the earth and multiply it, rule over it. And I've given you all of these trees for fruit and food, but there's one that you should not eat of. Because if you do, you will surely die. And with that bite, that decision, the curse of God is on mankind. And that curse is death. See, the reason we die, my friends, is because we're sinners. Now, some of you may be saying, wait a second, Pastor, you're kind of laying it on a little bit heavy here. If you think that you're not a sinner, ask your wife. Ask your husband, am I a sinner? Oh yeah, you're a sinner. <laughs> ask your kids. Am I a sinner? Oh yeah, you're a sinner. Ask your parents. See, we want to leave God out of this equation of life. But at the core of our problem is simply this, that we're not right with God. And all death is, is proof that our lives are found wanting. Hebrews 9.27 put it this way, just as man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment. You ever get those dreams? Where you're in college and or in high school and you gotta go take a test and you forgot to study for it, and you know you're gonna fail it, and so you're all panicked and freaking out because you know if I take this test. See, that's a great picture of death. The test that we all have to take and will be found wanting. But in the resurrection, we see the picture of a man, Jesus, that said, I am willing and able to take this test. pass it and I am not only that I'm willing and able to take this test and pass it not only for me but for you as well see Jesus said he was going to die he was tortured he was crucified and yet three days later the stone was rolled away somehow 14 Roman soldiers were overcome and this one Jesus appeared to his disciples and over 500 people If all of that is a sham, if all of this, this whole thing is a lie, then we are to be pitied among all men and women. Your faith is useless, and you're still in your sins. And my advice and counsel to you is to get as far away from Christianity as possible, because it's like poison. Many of you may know the story of Jim. Jim was born in the 1930s. He was a bright child though more than a little bit uh, strange, as his peers talked about him. Jim was a student of all things, particularly religion. And as a young man, he attended a faith healing service at a Seventh-day Baptist church, and he observed that it attracted people and their money like nothing else could. It was then when Jim decided to become a minister so he could advance his agenda. He started his own church, which changed names until it became the People, People's Temple, Christian Church, Full Gospel, short for the People's Temple. Though Jones masqueraded as a minister, the truth was he was not a Christian, but hiding behind the platform of Christianity to promulgate his communist and socialist views. And as he gained power, Jones became more and more radical, more and more dictatorial, abusing his followers and trying to increase his power. Um, Jim Jones, as his full name was, claimed that the world would be engulfed in a nuclear war in 1967, and then a new socialist Eden was occurred, and decided to move his people, the people's temple, to the nation of Guyana, to wait for this uh, transformation. And there he began his belief that he told to his people, called translation where he and his fathers would all die together and move to another planet and live blissfully. With increasing pressure from the United States as reports leaked out about what was going on with Jim Jones and the People's Temple, Jones decided that the time had come and he convinced the people, in fact some against their will, that they needed to commit revolutionary suicide by drinking cyanide-laced Kool-Aid. It was on that day that 909 inhabitants of Jonestown, 303 of them, children, died of cyanide poisoning, resulting in the greatest single loss of American civilian life in a non-natural disaster until September 11. People put their faith in Jim Jones. They had faith, but they died in vain. Now some of you may be saying, how can you compare Jim Jones to Jesus Christ see I'm not doing that it's the Apostle Paul who is you see he's saying if Christian if Christ is not raised his teaching is pointless and so is your faith because you are still dead in your sins if he's not raised death is final there's no answer for death in fact life has no meaning whatsoever it was C.S. Lewis that said Christianity if it is false is of no importance. And if it is true, it's of infinite importance. The only thing that it cannot be is moderately important. So my question for you is, what does Christianity mean to you? Maybe it's of moderate importance. I like Christianity. It's a good thing. It gives me a good example to follow. I like Jesus. He's good for my kids. He's good for my marriage. I think it's a good idea to be a part of church. My friends, if Christ is not raised, it's a waste of time. In fact, everything is a waste of time because we have no solution to this problem between God and us. So don't waste your time. Tube it. Move on. Look somewhere else. If you choose to stay, I only have one thing to say for you and me. I pity us, because without the resurrection, Christ is useless. But in this passage, as I move to my second point, we see that there is a resurrection. And if so, Christianity is not useless. Christ is priceless. See, if Christ is raised, everything changes. That's why in 1 Corinthians 15, 3, we see uh, Paul saying, What I delivered to you was of first importance. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, that he appeared to Peter and then to the Twelve, and then to to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. See, Paul is saying this Christianity, this Jesus rising, this is not a pipe dream. This was done in full view of everyone. See, when you think about it, where did Christianity start? It started 50 days later, Pentecost, 50 days later from Christ uh, being crucified in the very city where where Jesus was crucified by the very people who ran like cowards when Jesus was crucified? What was the difference? How were these guys able to stand in front of the Roman legions who didn't go anywhere and say this is the truth? Their answer was simple. We have seen Jesus raised from the dead. And we cannot help but speaking about him. So these four if-then statements, think about it. If Christ is raised, they're totally different. See, if Christ is raised, our preaching is not in vain. Because if Jesus is raised, everything that he has said is true. If Christ has been raised, Jesus is the one appointed by God who gives us more than good advice who shows us the way to be made right with God, to conquer death itself. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. See, the the critical factor in the resurrection is this. Who raised Jesus? See, Jesus didn't raise himself, though he had the power to do so. If you look throughout this passage, indeed every single place in the New Testament, you'll see Jesus always being raised in the passive tense. It was God who raised Jesus. Acts 2.24, but God raised him from dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. See, the reason Jesus Christ was raised was because God was pleased with his life. Here was a man subject to the same temptations, the same uh, failings as you and me, and yet he passed the test. And because he passed the test, he was not subject to the curse. He was raised from death to life. And so in Jesus Christ, we too can pass this test. Romans 4.25 puts it this way, For he was put to death for our sins, but he was raised to life, for our justification. And so, I am not a snake oil salesman. I'm not misrepresenting God. Rather, I'm God's ambassador, as though God was making His appeal to you through me. See, this is God's message. His gospel is good news to you. And if my preaching is not in vain, if the message is not in vain, if you believe, your faith is not in vain either. For you who have faith in Christ can have life in his name. Think of how many things that you have put your faith in that have been in vain. That business deal that was going to come together, that was going to change everything. That relationship that you put your faith in that was going to bring happiness. That new diet that you chose. That new job that you took. That new clothes set that you wore. All in vain. But here is something that was not in vain. For through Christ, death has lost its grip on you and me. That in Christ, we can experience the approval and the blessing of God. As Peter says, praise be, John says, praise be to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. See, if Christ is raised, our faith is not in vain, and therefore we who believe are to be envied, not pitied, above all men. Because in Christ, the search for life is over. We receive not the curse, but the blessing. See, Paul talks about two men. As in Adam, all die. Remember Adam, the guy who ate the apple? We're we're just like him. But in Christ, all will be made alive. We have a new source of life. History tells the story of a man who lived in South Africa and, through news of the African diamond rush, became tremendously excited about getting in on the wealth, about starting his own search for diamonds. This farmer got so excited about the idea of of diamond exploration that he sold his farm to head out to the diamond line. He wandered all over the, the continent, and as the years slipped by, constantly searching for diamonds, his health broke and his wealth, which he never found, caused him to eventually go broke and throw himself into a river where he drowned. Meanwhile, the new owner of his farm, Erasmus Jacobs, a, shaper, a shepherd was tending sheep on his land when he picked up an unusual-looking rock about the size of a country egg and put it on his mantle out of curiosity. A neighboring farmer named Schalk van Heerk stopped by and, in viewing the rock, practically went into terminal convulsions. Do you know what this is? The shepherd had no idea. Van Heerk believed it was a diamond, and so he sent him into town to be identified. The pebble turned out to be a 21.25 carat diamond dubbed the Eureka. And when Jacobs discovered the truth he replied, heck, the whole farm is covered with them. (laughs) And sure enough, it was. The farm turned out to be on what would come to be known as the Kimberley diamond mine, the richest the world has ever known. The original farmer was literally standing on acres of diamonds until he sold his farm. To date, three tons of diamonds have been farmed from the Kimberly diamond line, including the famous Hope diamond at the Smithsonian. It was right there under his nose the whole time. What is your hope built on, my friends? What makes you who you are? See, we all have a treasure, and we all guard it carefully. It defines who we are. What's the one thing that you can't do without? Maybe it's your career. You've worked hard to get where you are and you've got the corner office and you've got the power and the security and you're the envy of everyone. But how secure is your diamond? It happens when the economy turns. Or downsizing in the firm. Somebody comes along who's sharper and younger than you. What if your diamond is your beauty? You're a woman that happened to win the lottery and look exactly like all that culture wants you to look like. And you're the envy of all women. But what happens when the beauty fades and the wrinkles increase and no, much, no matter how much age-defined serum you buy, it can't keep them at bay. Is it worth putting all the weight of your life on? See, if the resurrection is true and you believe it, you have been granted an inheritance that will not spoil or fade. The blessing of God, that life is not in vain, that Jesus is not useless, rather he is priceless. He is the acres of diamond. So my exhortation to you is to put your weight on him, to put your faith in him. Stop running all over the continent looking for diamonds. They're right under your feet. His name is Jesus. If Christ is not resurrected, Christ is useless. But if he is raised, Jesus Christ is priceless. This brings me to my final point. If Christ has been raised, and he has, your life is not hopeless. See, one of the questions we have to ask is, this is so beautiful, but when will it happen? When will I see my hope? vindicated we get an understanding through looking at verse 20 through 23 but in fact Christ has been raised from the dead the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep for as by a man came death by a man comes also the resurrection from the dead for as in Adam all die so also in Christ shall all be made alive but each in his own order Christ the first fruits that at his coming those who belong to Christ we need to understand this word first fruits. In the ancient world in his in ancient Israel, they had a variety of different festivals. One of them was called the festival of the first fruits. It was right at the beginning of the harvest. When the harvest would begin to come, when crops had been planted, the harvest would begin to come and they would take some of the harvest that had already begun called the first fruits and they would bring it in and they would give praise and glory to God. For he had brought forth the food from the earth and he was going to bring the rest of the harvest in its due time. We see that Jesus is called the first fruits. If Jesus is the first fruits, where is the rest of the crop? Well, I'm looking at it if you are a Christian. See, the rest of the crop is that which is to follow. But there are two points that we can make, glean, glean. Pardon the pun, from first fruits. The first is there is an inseparability between the first fruits of the harvest and the rest of it. See, it's not like you get the first part of the wheat harvest and then along comes the avocados. It's wheat and it's wheat. So in the picture of Jesus Christ's resurrection, we see a picture of ourselves who are to come. See, Christ was a man just like us and yet we see his transformation. That his failing body was renewed and transformed. It's not an issue of quality, it's simply an issue of priority. The first fruits and then those who are to come. If you want to know what you look like in the future, look at Jesus, the first fruits of the resurrection. But we see a second point from this concept of first fruits and that is that this, that the harvest has begun. The new age has been inaugurated with Christ rising from the dead. Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so they will be like his glorious body. See, the process has been started, and what has been started will be brought to completion. The 1 Corinthians 15, 47 says that the first man, Adam, was of the dust of the earth, the second man from heaven. As was the earthly man, so those are of the earth. And as is the man from heaven, so are those who are of heaven. As just as we have borne the likeness of the earthly man, so shall we bear the likeness of the man from heaven. The harvest has begun. When we trust in Christ, a transformation It's beginning in us that will be completed at the resurrection. I don't know if you saw this story. It was on the 28th of March. After 15 years of wearing a mask and living as a recluse, a 37-year-old Virginia man has been given a new face, nose, tongue, teeth, and jaw in what his doctors say is the most extensive face transplant ever performed. You see this on the news? This guy, Richard Norris, he was a young guy, and his face was horribly disfigured in a gunshot accident. And he had been living as a recluse for 15 years, avoiding eating in public, shopping for groceries. He wouldn't go out without a mask on his face because people would look on him in horror. But then along came a person in an accident, and his family, he was an organ donor, and his family agreed to donate the face of this person. And so this extensive transplant occurred that took over 150 doctors to do. And I don't know if you've seen the pictures, but it's astounding. It's astounding, this man as he shares, he talks about, his doctor said, this accidental injury destroyed everything. His friends and colleagues went on to start getting married, having children, owning homes, He wants to make up for all of that. He now has started having the ability to smell and to shave again. People used to look on Richard Norris with horror, and now they look on him with wonder. You may feel like Richard Norris right now. You may be ashamed of how you look. You may see all of your faults when you look into the mirror, but we have the most skilled of surgeons, Jesus Christ. See, you may look at your life and see all the regrets, all the things that you wish that you had done differently that you can't change. You may look at your life and ask the question, what have I accomplished? But you see, Jesus Christ, the first fruits, who has undergone transformation through his resurrection has the power to take our lowly bodies and do a complete life transplant to bring resurrection to the most fallen of creatures and so if the resurrection is true life is not hopeless your life is not hopeless so don't look at yourself look at him be patient be hopeful be expectant life is more than this petty world one day we will look in the mirror and our transformation will be complete angels will gaze upon you in wonder for when they look on you in the mirror they will see him if Christ is not resurrected Christ is useless but if Christ is raised Jesus Christ is priceless. That is our hope for Easter. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you that when our face, our bodies, our souls were disfigured by sin, horrible to look upon, you came on this earth. You lived a perfect life. You stood before the Father. Indeed, you even died in our place. And your life was validated for you were raised from the dead. And because of your love and your mercy and your grace, you have promised to to take everyone who believes in you with you and to transform our lowly bodies so that we too might have glorious bodies. Lord, this is the hope of Easter. This is the hope of our hearts. I pray for those among us right now, Lord, who may not even know you, that they would put their trust in you and experience your resurrection life even now. We love you, Lord. We thank you. We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.